Here's some words of blessing in Psalm 20, verses 3 and 4. May he remember all your gifts and look favorably on your burnt offerings. May he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. These are words that are relevant to our sharing about uh, vision today. May he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. We see them every day at work or in our neighborhood and even at church. People who drag through life day after day, year after repetitive year, people who are grinding their, away their lives and spending their time on tasks that fail to challenge them. They seem sedated by the monotony of a life that's too small for the breath of God that is within them. And their spirits long for a movement of God to envelop their inner being and give them purpose for living, whether they really understand that or not. Over time, what happens is that negativity and apathy set in. Unable to make any connection between the troubles of today and the uncertainty of tomorrow, they fail, uh, fall into a weary pattern of doubt and cynicism and dis disillusionment. And maybe that's why we live in a society that places so little hope and trust in things like government and schools and even the church. Maybe that's why God is raising up spiritual leaders who live lives on purpose and lead others in their churches to do the same. Joshua is a young leader who knows that God is opening a new chapter in the life of his people. And while sensing the loss of the way things were, he knows he cannot back into the future. He must look forward to God's purpose for the days ahead. And that purpose is emphatically revealed in Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Now, a closer look at these verses provides a lesson for spiritual leaders about the indispensable dimensions of a God-given vision. The best opportunities for those... Uh, are those which fulfill the purposes of God. And God tells Joshua, I promise what I, you what I promised to Moses, that wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I am giving you. God is unveiling a glimpse of the opportunities that lie ahead in this movement that is underway. I can't help but notice that it's just God and Joshua in this conversation about the future that God has prepared on a side note, I believe in learning uh, from other growing churches. Our staff does that regularly. We visit churches that are ahead of us in some areas of ministry. We get on the phone with other church leaders. We attend conferences and do webinars and things that help us learn to do some things better. But I'm convinced that none of these things are a substitute for searching for God's mind and what's right for us. No church can be someone else. It must be what God has called it to be in its own community. And the Bible says that we are created in the image of God, and that means that we have the ability to be creative, to see what is unseen. We can not only sense the future, we have a role in creating the future. Many people who are not people of faith can accomplish lots of good things. But God has, built, God has built those abilities into the universe. But God wants to make our creative capacity holy. 
so that all we do is based on his promises and aligned with his purposes. Now, it would be wonderful to think that vision is a characteristic that's found in abundance among God's people, but, that, uh, but the reality is that many congregations seem to be doing what is right in their own eyes and fail to seek the mind of God for their future. That was true in Joshua's time. It was true for the God's people, the Israelites. They were not naturally inclined to seek God's vision for their future because they were wearing blinders. And here's some examples of blinders that were present in their lives, but I think are also found today in many churches and even in our own personal lives. First, these God's people had been wandering around without a specific direction for a long time. They had just spent 40 years as shepherds in the desert. It was the fulfillment of God's punishment for the sins of their forefathers. The people whom Joshua would now lead into the promised land had lived their whole life meandering around in a wasteland. And you know what? There are a lot of churches that are doing the same thing. They just, they're just marking time doing the same things that they've always done, not really with any specific direction. And this makes it challenging to think clearly and specifically about future opportunities. And to tell you the truth, that's the way a lot of people live their lives as well, not just churches. Secondly, the, God's people had developed a manna mentality. That means during their time in the desert, God was miraculously providing their daily food. And Moses, their great leader, was spending most of his time responding to their complaints about the menu. In their mind, leadership existed for the purpose of meeting their needs. Now, there are many church people today who cannot envision anything beyond their own needs. There's a world of difference between believing that the purpose of leadership is to meet my needs and believing that the purpose of leadership is to help us conquer new territory in obedience to God. You see, God will not do great things through people who think that the church exists to meet their needs, but he will do great things through people who expect their church's leadership to be conquering new territory. As a church ages, there's a tendency for the focus to move from reaching the community to catering to the preferences of the members. Maybe that's why most churches reach their peak before they're 20 years old. I've seen it happen in almost every church I know of. There's a movement away from starting new ministries and taking new territory for God to the top priority being taking care of the people who faithfully attend and serve and give. There are the same, these are the same people who judge the value of a worship service by what we get out of it instead of asking whether it was challenging to someone who does not yet know Christ. See, there's nothing wrong with having our spiritual needs met, but there must be a balance between meeting needs and taking new territory. And a movement of God requires us to transcend self-centeredness, to be always extending the kingdom of God. Now, third, what Joshua envisioned uh, had been tried once and had failed. And because of their unbelief, God sentenced their forefathers to die in the desert. Unhappy with God's decision, they decided to take matters into their own hands, and they tried to enter the promised land all on their own. In the book of Numbers, chapter 14, we read, But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant left the camp. 
And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Hormah. You see, the Israelites' defeat came as they tried to do what was not God's will to do. They attempted to conquer new territory, but in their own strength and without God's resources. And so many times when a church begins to discuss future opportunities, we hear the words, well, it's been tried before and it didn't work. It may be a reference to a past ministry or to a fundraising effort or a building program, but the failure in the past limits the opportunity for the future. The vision that God was giving Joshua was no different than the one he gave to Moses. Go and enter the promised land, but a closer look reveals the most important difference in that this time the movement was God's will and it was God who would provide the victory. Same task, new leader, new followers, and a renewed commitment to God. And then fourth, God's people were suffering for the unfaithfulness, as I said, of their parents' generation. Joshua had wandered around in the desert for 40 years, not because he lacked vision or obedience to God, but because he was outvoted by 10 other spies. The story, uh, uh, the preceding story to this is that Moses sends out 12 spies into the promised land, says, go, go check it out, bring me back a report. Joshua and Caleb are two of the spies who go and come back and say, you know what, God has given this land. It looks, uh, there's a lot that we have to do. The people are, 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 uh, are there and they're well-armed, but you know what, God has promised us the victory. Let's go for it. And 10 of the spies came back and said, oh, they're giants, they're big, they're massive, they're, they're, they're well-armed, we can't possibly do it. And so that generation that was to lead into the promised land because they were disobedient wandered around in the desert for 40 years until they were all gone. God had predicted it when he announced, and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you dies or lies dead in the wilderness. You see, it's tough when we have to suffer for our own sins. But it's tougher yet when we suffer because of somebody else's unfaithfulness to God. And I see it in the lives of individuals all the time who have experienced abuse or been impacted by divorce or unjustly treated at work. There's a tremendous temptation for us to be bitter, which always magnifies the past and clouds the future. And churches can also get mired in those should-have-beens and could-have-beens, and, and we completely miss what yet can be by the grace of God. But courageous spiritual leaders won't allow the blunders of the past to block their vision of God-given opportunities in the future. In prayer, God reveals to us those blinders, those challenges, that self-centeredness, self-pity. And so God is challenging us always to step out and take new territory in our own spiritual lives and in the mission of the church. But it's worship that frees us from our own desires. Uh, it's, no, it's no mistake that when the psalmist says, may he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed, that the verse immediately preceding that says, may he remember all your gifts and look for, favorably on your burnt offerings. Now what does that mean? It means worship is where we, it was defined as the sacrifices that we make. The self-denial is the offerings. And it is that worship, it is the giving up of ourselves and honoring God that puts us in a position to seek the opportunities 
that God has in store for us. God promises Joshua, he says, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses, and I will not fail you or abandon you. Those are the boundaries that God sets. Notice that in that short paragraph, God sets some boundaries of his promise. God-given vision includes not only possibilities, but also boundaries. We are created in the image of God so we can sense the opportunities, and yet we're human. We're restricted by time and space. And there are limits to what can be done by any one individual or any one church. Limits can be resisted, but they can, but they can be appreciated, uh, and, and they can be appreciated, but they are real. Sometimes people in smaller churches look at a larger church like ours, and they believe that big churches can do it all. You know, what a myth! What a myth! Large churches, just like smaller churches, we struggle with the limitations of money and with facility space and personnel. A church never gets to the place where it can offer an endless smorgasbord of ministry opportunities. There's always going to be a need to set priorities in keeping with the church's vision and mission. A clear vision is critical for every church. Sometimes church leaders have to decide between good things and other good things. We can't do everything, nor can we do everything well. Sometimes a ministry may be valuable, but it's not within the territory that God has promised us. So learning to say no is one of the toughest decisions that a spiritual leader has. Sometimes churches lose their vision and momentum in order to please certain people in the congregation. But attempts to please people um, and meet everybody's need will drain energy that otherwise must be focused on moving the vision forward. You see, a church without boundaries is like a river without banks. Tends, they tend to be slow and shallow, trying to please everyone, do everything, embrace all the latest fads, and the result is that the ministry is a mile wide and an inch deep. What makes it tough to say no is the tension that it creates because everybody gets excited about things that appeal to them. But unlike what the world promises, we can't have it all. And for example, we, sometimes uh, here we've had to say no to some really good ideas for outreach ministries. Uh, maybe things that would end up with minimal success so that we can concentrate our resources on things that have a greater impact. Some of the questions that churches often wrestle with in this move as a church grows and, and the vision expands is, uh, can we accept pastoral care from the members of our small group, from the members of our Bible study group, from, from each other? not just from a clergy person appointed to a congregation. That's part of the move from a small church mindset to a large church mindset. Can we feel good about worshiping at a time that's other than the, maybe the time we would prefer so that we can open up seats for guests and unchurched people in a, at a more conducive time slot? You see, churches, both large churches and small churches, have limits. And a clear vis vision acknowledges those limits. Sometimes a vision dictates that the answer to, to something be, no, it's never going to happen here. As uncomfortable as that is for me, I know 
that our church is never going to be one big happy family. Uh, quite regularly, I hear people say, why can't we just worship at one time on Sunday morning? Why do we have to have three services and four in the summer? Why can't we just be one big happy family? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we don't do that, but one is uh, we would never be able to put everybody in this worship center all at one time. Uh, we would certainly limit our audience. It's impossible to get everybody here, let alone know who all's here. We are a church instead that has chosen to be lots of families, small groups, Sunday school classes, special outreach ministries, uh, lots of different family groups, all related by building relationships with each other and fulfilling the mission to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. But sometimes the vision dictates, no, we can't do that, but not just not at this time. You know, a church can't do everything all at once. And whether it's adding facility space, which we really do need to do and sometime in the near future, whether it's adding church staff, whether it's new programs or ministries, there are always limits caused by finances and facility. Sometimes those limits relate to time, to volunteers. At other times, um, you know, it needs to fit into the framework of our vision. But the most important thing I've learned over the years about timing is that everything must happen in God's time, not ours. Sometimes God hasn't said, move ahead yet. And we wait, because it's critical that we're clear about our vision, but it's critical that we listen to God. When God promises Joshua to give him the land that he walks on, it's obvious that that victory will come day by day, Step one step at a time. He's not going to get all that territory all at once. He'll experience some successes along the way to, to embracing what God has shown him. And there will be some of that territory that will eventually get divided up into the, for the 12 tribes of Israel. So spiritual people need to establish territories within their personal life as well. And we call those personal goals, relational goals, spiritual goals, financial goals, but we establish boundaries, we establish territories, don't we? And then periodically review those priorities. In a similar way, a church has to identify territories within the boundaries that God has given us. And these are areas in which we want to see results. It may involve those who regularly attend Redeemer, it may involve some of the unchurched in the community, it may involve people that we're in mission with, and I like to think of this as our strategy for impacting people for Christ. They don't stand alone, but they're based on our mission, our vision, and our core values. And that's our foundation for ministry. Here at Redeemer, we might look at these territories in this way. Now, and I'm just going to share a couple of the territories that I think God has placed in front of us. One is relationships. And, and uh, it really is important that we love and care for each other. That is certainly a, a priority here, is that we build relationships with people who come into this place. That's what drives our attempts to multiply things like Bible study groups and discipleship groups and small groups, because getting to know people is a key to feeling like a valued part of this congregation. And worship gives us the opportunity to fellowship with God in a larger setting, but we need smaller groups that are centered, centered on learning and fellowship and prayer um, in order to build those relationships. Another one of the territories God has given us is developing personal giftedness. 
um, we believe that every person is gifted by God for ministry, and, and we are all most fulfilled when we are using our spiritual gifts in the areas of service in which God has given us a passion. Every person who comes through our new membership orientation class takes a special uh, 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 spiritual gift survey. And, and we give that survey for a reason, and that is to help you to understand your spiritual gifts, but then to connect you to one of the ministries in the life of this church so you'll get to know people in a way that will build some relationships. We also really believe in the Bible and the Bible study. Um, I am personally alarmed at the level of biblical, biblical illiteracy even among believers. And so we're committed here at Redeemer to discovering God's Word and to applying it to our everyday life. And that's why we give away Bibles in the fall to many different age groups, from children all the way up to uh, through, through uh, uh, our youth. That's why our, our bookstore has a multitude of Bibles you can choose from. It's why, why we give away free Bibles. That's, that's why we do a lot of things around Bible study, because we believe that this is an important piece of all of our lives. We believe in outreach in the community, that uh, to take the initiative to introduce people to the love of Jesus Christ through the way that we touch the community. It equal, it's equally important that we don't just passively wait for people to come to us, but we build bridges out in the community to people. And our goal is to enfold people into this church, to love them, to make them feel welcome. And then missions. Churches uh, are not able to effectively reach our nation, our world in mission unless we learn to partner with other organizations and people. And so uh, since we can't do it alone, we are partnering with many different agencies right here in Clinton County and around the world in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. These are just some of the territories that I believe that are reflected in the strategy of Redeemer Church. And to keep us on track, one of the things we do with our staff regularly and sometimes with our leadership team is to, to talk about the effectiveness of some of these ministries. Are we being faithful to the mission? And and what are the results of our effort in, in each of these areas? And then prioritize what's important for us to do in the coming year, the next five years down the road. We must constantly be asking ourselves into what territories is God leading our church? What results are necessary for us to be faithful to the vision God is giving us? Now, developing a vision for ministry is a process. It involves lots of prayer, foresight, hindsight, a worldview that sees the new developments and trends in our culture, the ability to see the big picture as well as how it will impact those who are affected and always doing some revising and synthesizing as things change. I, 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 believe me, it's a lot of work. Vision work is, a lot, is work. It's hard work and it's necessary for a church to have a clear understanding of where God is leading. I, I, some of you know I do some consulting work with a variety of other churches and one of uh, the greatest areas of need in so many congregations is the ability to articulate clearly a compelling vision of what God's calling that congregation to do in their local community. And as I was preparing this message for today, it struck me that it's been a while since I shared with, with you what I believe God has called us to do here at Redeemer. So in the closing couple of minutes, I just want to share with you um, a, a part of our vision few years after I came here to Redeemer, I clearly felt God speaking about the future of this congregation, and it's a vision that has certainly been refined over the years, but still burns brightly in my heart and mind, and it's kind of in three parts. First, I believe that God has called us to focus on being a church in the community 
that churched and unchurched people alike love to attend. It is my hope that people who are unchurched or marginally churched or de-churched or hurt by the church or um, turned off by church can encounter God here and they can find hope here and they can experience grace here. I strongly believe that God has called us to help people who are far from God or nominally religious to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that through all the Christian education, the youth ministry, um, the small groups, the Bible studies, the bookstore, all the means that we have in-house to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. The second part of our vision is to transform our community. The question I keep asking myself is this, is the community around us better because of what we do here? It's always been my belief that this whole area should look different because of this church's ministry. I want the values and the culture of the schools and the businesses and the people in this community to look more like the kingdom of God because Redeemer Church is here. And we do that in part with our outreach ministry uh, here in Clinton County, the support we offer to other organizations who are making a difference in their own way, all of those kinds of things is important to help transform this community. And the final part of our vision is that God would use Redeemer Church as a catalyst for renewal and transformation to help churches that are struggling. Over 80% of the churches in America today are either seriously plateaued or in decline. And there are pastors and churches that are discouraged and they don't know where to turn to get practical help to turn their congregations around. And for the last 10 years specifically, we have focused a part of our ministry on being a teaching church. And we have tried to be an example for others in offering coaching and practical help in ministry. And God has been using the 180 Turnaround Conference as a tool to assist churches all over the state of Michigan. Of course, it's not about us. But as we offer ourselves to God, God is using us in his redeeming work. And as we work together, lives are being transformed and Christian community is being created and the world around us is being changed. A close look at Joshua chapter 1 reveals that any vision from God involves more than the promise of results. It is centered in a relationship with God himself. God promises Joshua that he will be with him every step of the way in the Israelites as the Israelites pursue their conquest into the promised land. See, God never promises Joshua that it's going to be easy. In fact, he talks to him about the need for courage, and we're going to get into that next week. He doesn't promise conflict-free conquest. There will be many battles. There will be some setbacks. He doesn't promise an immediate win. It's going to take years for this territory to be taken. But he does promise results that are significant from God's perspective. And he promises a relationship that will prove that God is faithful and God is available every step of the way. God promises Joshua that he won't have to do it alone. No matter how challenging it becomes, God will be there, and that's his promise, not only to Joshua, but to us as well. Let's pray. Lord, it's an awesome mission that you have set before us. Sometimes it's hard to understand or envision from our current vantage point, but we promise to keep in step with you. While you've not promised that it would always be quick or easy, you've promised to never leave us or forsake us. And so we move courageously forward, for there's nothing that empowers us more than your promises 
in your presence. Amen.